and these uh, these women came in from um, school visual art after a party or something in the in the end of my shift. And she goes, "What do you do?" I said, "I'm an artist." She goes, "What?" She said, "No." She said, "What do you want to do?" I said, "I'm an artist." She goes, "Oh, I work. I'm at school visual arts." I said, uh, and she goes, "Um, why aren't you drawing?" And I said, uh, "Well, I'm working." She goes, "You're not working now." She goes, "You should be training your eye." And she was right. You always. Even when you're not working for it, you got to be working for it. Welcome to the Creative Tax Podcast with Mike Brennan. Welcome, friends, to another episode of Creative Chats. It's the podcast for artist makers and content creators where we talk about creativity, the creative process, and story. I'm your host, Mike Brennan. You can connect with me over on Instagram. I'm at MikeBone. And you can check out some of my work, which is on my website, MikeBrennan.me. I'd also love to extend an invitation to you to join our free Facebook group called Daily Creative Habit. It's where all types of creatives are showing up to say, I want to be more consistent with my creativity and craft. And if you would like to be a part of that community, we would love to have you. Go to DailyCreativeHabit.com to sign up to be a part of that group. Also, you can sign up for the free Daily Creative Habit newsletter. This is a newsletter that comes twice a week right now. It comes Mondays and Fridays. The newsletter is packed with resources and inspiration and also daily prompts that are centered around creativity. And it doesn't matter if you're a visual artist, musician, content creator, what your creative expression is. These prompts are designed to get you thinking and engage with your own creativity and establish your own daily creative habit. Go to dailycreativehabit.com and subscribe today. On this week's episode, I am joined by gallery artist Bill Nelson from William Nelson Studios. And we have a great conversation. As a matter of fact, we had such a thorough conversation, I'm dividing our chat up into two parts. So for this week, we have part one, which we're going to focus more on Bill's journey he shares, you know, where did his love for art come from and how did he develop his style and what were the things that contributed along the way in his journey? You know, so often we see kind of the final product, if you will, or the current evolution of what somebody creates and who they are, but we don't always get a chance to hear what went into the making of, you know, what's the behind the scenes? And so for this episode, I'm really excited to be able to bring to you our chat where we talk about his journey and how it's a windy path and how there were a lot of things in it that um, really just contributed to the work that he does today, even if it's in uh, a way of how he thinks about something, how he approaches something. And so uh, I'm just going to get out of the way and bring to you this first part of my creative chat with Bill Nelson. Well, Bill, welcome to the Creative Chats podcast. I'm excited to talk to you today. Well, it's great to be here at home yeah. with you. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, I see your, your work in the background there. It's uh, it's amazing. And uh, I was I was so um, just thrilled to be able to go to your show a couple of weeks back and see the work in person and meet you in person. And so... Uh, I'm excited for our conversation today. Lots of questions. Yes, you know, um, you know what? Know what scares me most in the world, Mike? What's that? It's when someone says to me, "Do you remember when you said?" <laughs> <laughs> and, 
And then, and then, so you can't imagine how, how frightened I am because not only can they, this will be recorded in the ether forever. And so there'll be no denying it. Do you remember when you said, Oh God. <laughs> well, I'm, you know, we'll be, we'll be okay. I think, I think everything oh, that you yeah. say today will be helpful to the listeners. I'm sure. And we're, we're curious about just your, your work, your journey, your process, all that stuff. Um, so before we get too, too far into this, right. Um, tell us a little bit about like, where did creativity start for you? Like Bill as a kid, right? Were you the typical kid who was the, the artist who was drawing and painting all the time and, and wanting to just do as much of that as possible? Or did that kind of come a little bit later? Always. Uh, this, this is just something that's been part of my, you know, just like the most natural thing in the world. Um, I was, the, I was the art kid, like, mm -hmm. you know, most artists are. And, um, and even as a, even as a little kid, I remember being, well, I went to Catholic school where budgets were constantly being, you know, art was constantly, it was over the years was dropped, not dropped. Yeah. And then I remember even sister Catherine having the class follow her in a drawing and, and I'm, you know what, eight years old, I'm thinking, you know what, I can, I don't have to do this. I can draw better than Sister Catherine. And I could. <laughs> Did they get a little knuckle slap with the ruler? <laughs> oh, there was, there was, there was some corporal punishment back in the sixties, believe me. <laughs> so what kinds of things were you interested in drawing as a kid? Um, well, I, well, I'll, I'll tell you, I was reflecting on this recently and um, I, I was talking to my mom who's still with us, my ancient mother. And I, when I, before I could read um, the, in the newspaper, they used to have the financial pages that um, you just had the ticker prices all over them. And they, mm -hmm. you know, when you were younger, they did too, but now, now those are gone. But before I could read, I used to just think that was gray newsprint. So I would draw, I would constantly be stealing those pages from the newspaper paper thinking they were blank and, mm. and draw. And my mom still has like Christmas ornaments and stuff I made uh, drawn on, on the, you know, the ticker pages. But uh, I think that I've always, um, my language has always been figurative. Um, that, and, you know, and even to this day, it's my bias, it's my language, it's my bias. It's, you know, it's what I understand. And it's, it's just kind of part of my makeup. Mm. And what, what kinds of things inspired you as a kid? Like besides the, those pages that you would see this as an opportunity to do something. I mean, was it, I know today there are so many like icons and pop culture references in your work um, was that something that was seeded even at an early age um no the thing is i, I grew up in central florida we my 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 parents moved from the midwest when i was a toddler and there was nothing there was it was before disney there's no museums there was gatorland that was mm. the big attraction in kissimmee there was a uh, um, and there was no inspiration and there wasn't even barely a television. Uh, you know, when, um, my, my, my dad was a, um, 
he was an art teacher. He was a high school teacher, but uh, he thought that the, the art books were too suggestive for us to look at. So there was no, you know, there wasn't any big kind of nurturing apprenticeship as a, for me as a child. It was just kind of, you know, just, just hacking away, mm-hmm. figuring it out, just doing it. And I always did it. And did that lead you to a point where you were like, okay, this is something that I know I definitely want to do for a living. Um, like earlier on, was it, you know, your choices of going, okay, career wise, my path here, this is the only thing that I know that I want to do. Or is this something that you just kind of struggled to go, you know, do I do this or do I do something more practical or how, how do I progress here? All right. Um, uh, I, I, this is fresh in my mind because I have, two grown sons and we've, you know, when they were, you know, in college and growing up and beyond, we've had this conversation a lot. And for me, um, I, I was confused about the value of things and the things that I thought were the most difficult is what I thought was the most valuable. And, um, what I told, what I realized later in life, even after school was, um, and what I tell my kids when they were, um, you know, figuring out, figuring their way is, uh, you know, do what's easy because, uh, and that's my advice, do what's easy because if it's easy, that means you're really good at it. And um, that, that took me, I had to come to terms with that. So when I was an undergrad, um, the art thing was easy, but uh, science was my, was, uh, you know, the sciences I mean, I was a good math student. I was a good chemistry student, biology. And, you know, that was, that was difficult for me. So um, I decided that that was where the value was, the most value. So I studied to be a, uh, a scientific illustrator. It, at University of Florida, you could take two, you could combine two majors. And so I had all the art fundamentals and um, and half of the um, advanced art degrees and all the science fundamentals for the pre-med students. So I had to take painting one, painting two, and uh, eight credits of chemistry and design and uh, drawing and um, functional vertebrate zoology and hmm. biology for, for medical. And it was... It was so ridiculous. And so I did A's in arts, C's in science, had a 3.1 when I graduated. <laughs> and I never, I, and when I left Florida, I never pursued it for a minute. Mm. It, was, so, it, was the, it was the wrong choice. So I kind yeah. of hedged my bets. Instead of, I had one foot on the dock, one on the boat. And instead mm-hmm. of just saying, look, I'm an artist. Uh, it's what I do best. That's what's easiest. Just friggin' go for it. Mm, yeah. <laughs> I think there's so much of that in stories that I hear from, from fellow artists who, you know, it's that struggle of thinking there's a lot of voices around us that say, you know, do the practical thing, do the responsible thing. You know, you don't want to be quote the starving artist. Um, and yet there's still that very much that need inside of us to create things and to, like you said, go towards what seems simple and easy and, and is honestly undeniable as a part of us, right? Um, mm-hmm. So 
when you said, you know, you, you left that, you didn't pursue, what was the next iteration of that looking like? Um, I, I know I saw on your website, um, you went to school of visual arts, correct? Yeah, that was a little later. Okay. So I, 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 uh, I was a football player at the University of Florida and I stretched out my degree program to, uh, for a, for my red shirt shirt senior year. So I had two classes in the fall of 1984, which was, you know, less than full time. And I was on the football team. So it was like the most fun semester ever. And so we finished the season and I graduated that December. And at that point, um, oh, the, and then the, the athletic department, they always try to, you know, especially I was, you know, I, I, I did good for them. I was an academic all Southeast Eastern Conference player and that, you know, there's not too many of those at the University of Florida. I mean, we have a couple of doctors on that team, Gary Roll and uh, Brett Wickman, and they were for sure all academic, but, um, uh, they just couldn't, you know, they couldn't, no one, they were not in the arts. They couldn't help. They, you know, and so I just uh, packed up my stuff and for, I got a copy of the Village Voice, roommate for rent in Brooklyn. And I moved to New York City and moved in with a bunch of strangers, sight un, uh, unseen, to pursue a career as an artist. Wow. <laughs> that's a, that's a big move for sure. Uh, it is, but what, I had nothing else. Yeah. I mean, it's not, you know, <laughs> it was <laughs> desperation. You know, you said do the practical thing. What the hell is the practical thing for a guy like me? I mean, there was no, there's no practical thing. Mm. You know, there's, this is, this is what I had to do. I, I suppose I could have been a teacher. I and mean, that's the one thing that my dad told me. I said, I want to be an artist. He goes, oh get your teaching. No, he said, you better get your teaching credits. And later in my degree program, he said, what are you going to do? I go, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to, you know, try my hand. I'm going to try the art thing and I'll probably teach. And he's, I remember the only advice he ever gave me was, oh, he was a teacher. Oh, Bill, don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's the, the sigh of many parents from uh, an artist. <laughs> yeah. So you, you move to Brooklyn, you're in with these strangers, you're pursuing this, this career in art. What does that look like when you get there and, and do opportunities come to you? I mean, how do you, how do you navigate that? Well, I quickly run out of money. Hmm. You know, I had, I saved some money and, it, and, and so when I ran out and um, I got a, uh, I, you know, met some friends there and someone got me a job as a, uh, as a bartender. And so I, you know, for, and the, it's, it's a, it's a story I hear a lot that um, illustrators, artists, people in art, it takes doctors, lawyers, it takes 10 years to do anything. I think, what do you think, Mike, does it take you 10 years to get where you are now to get oh, this? Longer than that. And there was a yeah. long windy path. Yeah, man. <laughs> So it takes time and, it, and no, one, no one does you any favors. So um, I had too much of a good time for a while, um, shopping my wares during the day, just getting anything. Um, back then you could do comp uh, drawings for uh, ad agencies. Comps were um, you know, preliminary drawings for advertisements and, and, uh, and commercials. So I worked for, uh, 
I worked, I did a, a campaign for Reebok and I did a lot of just, you know, anything that required making an image I would do. And I would also have at least three bar shifts a week for a good 10 years. Um, and, uh, When I, you know, when I was, when I was working, when I started to, you know, then I was doing better and better and better. And I realized there was, I would, uh, there's a ceiling. I didn't have the right connections. I didn't have the right pedigree. And I figured, you know what, I'm not going to make any more money than this. I'm not, I know we shouldn't talk about, I hate, I hate when artists get together and all they talk about is money, <laughs> which is usually what artists talk about. Hey, how are you selling? What are you getting? How many, you know, you know. That, that's like the most boring conversations. But anyway, um, uh, this is here's this is a this is a story that's very near and dear to me. Is I was sort of at my I, I was at you know I my career was started. It was sputtering. Um, I I met my wife Dana. We were married for a short time, and it just wasn't you know the marriage was working out just fine, mm -hmm. but the, my career wasn't working out. We didn't have any kids yet. And so I went, I called um, uh, a woman I knew from, you know, just being in, I guess this was, I bet, guess I was in New York for about five years. And uh, a woman I knew got a job at SUNY Purchase and she was an assistant uh, associate professor. Or no, yeah, whatever the adjunct professor. Mm -hmm. And she, uh, uh, I, um, well, first of all, um, I, I went to the School of Visual Arts where I, over the years, I always, I'd pick up a continuing ed course, pick up a figure drawing class, just, you know, in the night for fun and, you mm -hmm. know, just to keep my chops fresh or that, or um, the Art Students League, they have great classes there and it's a great space. But um, I went to School of Visual Arts and uh, one of the the guys, the, uh, I'm, I'm yeah, I didn't think about this, so I'm kind of screwing up the story. He 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 says because he knew me from taking continuing ed classes and being in and out on and off campus, you know, intermittently. And he said, "Hey, why don't you go up to the to the computer art department? We're just starting it. It's going to be our flagship program." And I said, "Really? I don't know anything about computers. You know, when I when I was in college, you know, you had card readers. There weren't even monitors, and nobody did it. You know, we still hand wrote English papers." I said, I don't, I don't have a computer. I don't know what you're talking about. Just go check it out. So I made an appointment with the head of the um, program, Tim Binkley, and I brought my professional portfolio. I had, you know, copies of paintings that were laminated in a, you know, and I, it was, you know, it was set up. It was, it was professionally done. And I guess he was used to dealing with students. And uh, it was the Friday before Labor Day. Is that the one in September, Labor Day? Not, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. Uh, Labor Day. Friday before Labor Day and classes started on Tuesday. And he said, well, you know, there's usually like a one-year process. You have to you have to apply in January and then you we do interviews in the spring and it's a very competitive program. And we have a lot of people from the Eastern Rim coming and we have some international students. And, and uh, however, uh, if you want, you can start on Tuesday. And so I, I went home, I told my wife and it was, it was $15,000 a year, which now is it's now I think it's over a hundred. Mm. I didn't, I didn't have, we didn't have $15,000. So I took, I went to, the, I talked to Dana and she goes, well, you gotta do it. 
because I went back to that woman at SUNY Purchase and I said, hey, look, I got, I got invited into this program that I'm not sure I'm very interested in, uh, but it's like sort of the way things are going from what I understand. And, uh, she, and I said, it costs $15,000. I don't have $15,000. She said to me, if I could get in that program, I would beg, borrow, or steal $15,000 to get into it. And so I went back to Dana and I said, hey, this is what she said. She goes, let's do it. So I, I, um, I borrowed every penny of the uh, tuition for the school and uh, I had it all paid back in like 24 months later. Hmm. It's like the best investment ever, ever. It was, you know, contacts, you know, just being in it and that, that I, for me, that was a big thing is just to be in an immersive, um, creative environment for two years uh, without distraction and the, the connections that mm-hmm. you, know, you make as far as visiting artists and uh, stu- fat, good, you, know, you know, really good faculty members and peers that you, you know, that, that, you know, it's been 30 years since I've been there and I still have friends in the program. Yeah. That, um, yeah. Yeah. It's interesting that you mentioned SUNY Purchase and a School of Visual Arts because I have connections with both of those. Uh, I went to SUNY Purchase for one semester. Uh, that didn't quite work out, but I uh, ended up going from there to School of Visual Arts. So uh, I think there was actually a little overlap in when you were there and when I was there. I was in the um, the graphic design program. So. And what year was it? Uh, it was 92 to 94. Uh, I was 91 to 93. Yeah. Yeah, my, my, my son, Henry, uh, came to my graduation at Avery Fisher Hall as a newborn. Hmm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I know exactly what you're talking about when you say to be in an immersive environment like that with other creatives um, and then the connections. Uh, you know, so many times people ask me today, like, would you recommend going to art school? And I said, well, it kind of depends. I mean, right. It's certainly very expensive. Uh, there's certainly a wealth of knowledge that you can get even just from the internet and other places. But as far as having something laid out in a program that is kind of sequential and then more so having those connections in the network, uh, people who, you know, are, are looking to connect you with other people and have your back in that kind of way, uh, I think is priceless, you know? Yeah. Um, th- there's the, uh, the rare occasion where there's, um, an overly competitive person mm-hmm. in who, uh, I've only come across it a couple of times, but, uh, every once in a while you run into someone who, um, is it doesn't necessarily have your your best interests in heart i'm thinking of a couple of people right now at the top of my head and you know you know how you get them back success baby (laughs) (laughs) i was hoping you weren't going to say i'm going to out them on a podcast you know (laughs) no no way no way i just love it and once in a while i see who's poking around my instagram (laughs) (laughs) that's awesome So going back to your story, you're, you graduate then from School of Visual Arts, uh, and, and now you've got this new skill set, uh, these new yeah. connections. What happens from there? 
Well, I still am freelancing, taking on whatever. And um, I'm getting hired by some of my teachers to do that. Well, this one guy wasn't a teacher. He was in the, he was the head of the photography department, but he worked, there's this place called R. Greenberg uh, in, um, in New York. Do you remember R. Greenberg? They did the Superman titles that were like a, came in okay. 3D. Uh, I remember like the titles, a, but I don't remember. The, yeah. Yeah. That was a big deal. Like that was some kind of, it wasn't computer. It was optical. They had um, a model shop. They had the biggest green screen on the East Coast. So, you know, they would build models. They would, uh, you know, film stuff. They had, uh, what else? They had, And they had a print department. Uh, that was, a, you know, a new thing that they, right before they used to work on a Harry machine. It was a special, you know, and it, this was on Macintoshes. Mm-hmm. So um, I worked there, you know, off and on doing all kinds of stuff. You know, they, I, there was, it was like a big sandbox where you could do, you know, there was movies being made. There was um, models being built. There was, there was ads being uh, done, you know, printed. So I worked there and I worked at um, the Voyager company and that was, well, first of all, I take, I take one thing back. When I was my second year at grad school it was a two year program. You know, I told you I had this scientific illustration mm-hmm. um, training. So there was this place out in Long. I lived on at the time. I I lived on Fifty Third Street in Manhattan with Dana, and uh, these people came to the school and they said we need an artist to do uh, medical animations. And um, I said, well, I have this training. And so I, they, I showed them my book and they, um, they hired me. And I, I made, a, that's one of the reasons why I paid all that money back. I made a boatload of dough, you know, working for pharmaceutical companies. Hmm. I shouldn't say that. I mean, I made, it was very- <laughs> Well, hey, if it's true, I mean, you know. <laughs> well, it was, can I say what it was? I love the name and they're gone now. They're, yeah. They got bought up. It's, um, I'm only going to tell you the name because it, it kind of rolls off the tongue. <laughs> it, mm-hmm. it was Instructional Techniques Limited Consultants in Medical Education. Wow. And I wasn't, I wasn't really, I wasn't really a medical illustrator. I was, you know, I didn't have medical illustrator credentials. I was a bio, you know, biological illustrator, but, um, um, uh, I, I did all their stuff. And even there was this uh, estrogen therapy that was, um, I don't know, they, was, they used horse, some horse part. I don't want to say, I, I don't want to say what I think. I think it was horse urine. I don't know. They used something to make this for this estrogen therapy. So these doc, the doctors own the business. So these doctors, they're, they're these wacky entrepreneurs. And they said, hey, Bill, how about if you animate um, a horse race for us. <laughs> and so I did, I, I, I did the, you know, I made, I drew out these, all the, you know, from the Moybridge, you know, pictures. I, I did cartoons of these, uh, of horses that, you know, the, the stride, whatever you call that, you know, Moybridge, right? Open, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I, I, I ripped, you know, I appropriated those frames and then I layered them and I made this, this and it was they hired a programmer so it would be so they could um uh they layered it in what at the time was 
macromedia director and it was for a trade show and they, it was this game that these doctors played and depending on you know certain i don't know things at the program that he could determine which horse won the race at the end well anyway it wasn't all science it wasn't all medical illustration there was some fun stuff too but I, you know i and then when i graduated i stopped that mm -hmm. i went back to the city and it was still was i was still painting and still working but i was still freelancing i was still doing you know what um i still had because i had a new baby now so i had a wife who was still uh she was at conde nast and so they had great benefits and so we still had her benefits and i had a new baby and i had to make money so mm -hmm. i did um uh one of the things that i did that was actually inspiring and surrounded me with really cool people was um i was sort of the hired art gun at the voyager company and i would you know i would i would design interfaces and i would you know illustrate images for um things like uh the mouse books the art spiegelman and uh baseball's greatest hits and uh then um yeah, and I was doing okay. And I decided I wanted to do uh, the, you know, the whole thing. So I said, why don't you just give me a title and just let me do it. And I'll, I'll, I'll illustrate it, design it. And, and I, and I'll, and I'll get a programmer to program it. So I, I talked to my friend, Bob Stratton, and we partnered up on making these um, educational CD-ROMs for a non-reading audience for young. So everything had to be visual. So everything had to be drawn and everything had to be, you know, no words. And uh, the two of the things that we did was uh, a, a title called um, With Open Eyes, Images from the Art Institute of Chicago. So it was the entire collection of the Art Institute of Chicago presented on a CD-ROM for people who were, for, for, for anybody, I thought it was fun, but if you were just a kid and you couldn't read yet, you could still, you could still page through and, you know, compare paintings and, and uh, zoom in on paintings and play a game with paintings. And I would, I, I would, I made this uh, virtual gallery so you could see the size because on a computer, you can't tell how big anything is. So it would be compared to a, a family, a kid, or a different people, you know, what, how, how big they are if you went to the Art Institute of Chicago and saw them. And then um, the Louvre wanted to do it too. So we did the collection of the Louvre as well. So, you know, I, I'm peripherally part of the art world. Uh, you know, at this point, I'm, um, I, I'm, in advertising, I'm in, uh, you know, I, I worked out of the artist market. Remember that artist market book where, mm -hmm. you know, and I would show, you know, do, I would do whatever, you know, two hand, two guys shaking hands, you know, uh, you know, that, you know, that all those ridiculous things. And, uh, and before all this, one of the funny things that happened is, uh, uh, you know, I, I, I answered, I got a call or I answered a, an ad or something for, uh, I, I think it was set, uh, set design or, or some kind of background painting. They wanted um, 
somebody wanted like a some I don't think it was a landscape. I think it was like just like mushy painting on the back of some at a TV studio way, way west in the 50s. And I go there and I got my book and I'm ready, you know, I'm gonna get a job, you know, working with paint, which is great fun. And uh, this wacky guy shows up and he's on, it's, um, it's public access television. And he says, oh, oh, you're for the background. You're the background guy. Hey, what you got there? That's your, that's your book. Let me see it. Hey, do you want to get it on TV? You want to show it on TV? <laughs> I go, I go, no. And, and there, at the time there's this guy trying to get him to buy his vending machine or, or lease his vending machine. So all the people that are lined up to get on this show, these wacky people are all shoving their faces full of Twinkies and cookies and all this crap, you know, while this, you know, this guy's trying to make nice with the, with the owner of this uh, uh, public access television station. And one of the people who was ready to go on was the bird lady. And she had this, she was, um, she, she looked like she needed a good scrubbing, first of all. <laughs> and she had, she had these, these cages uh, formed like wings on her shoulders and inside the cages were parakeets and she had tap shoes on and she, she danced on, and he wanted me to go on after her and talk about my art and, and show my portfolio on at um, 1.30 in the afternoon on a Tuesday on public access television. <laughs> uh, guess what? I didn't do it. And I told one of my art buddies that I didn't do it. And he goes, why not? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's funny, you know, the thing that I'm, that I'm hearing as you're telling your story is a couple of things. One, there's, there's the sense of, you know, when there's that phrase, you know, you, you leap and the net appears, right? Um, it seems like so many times you just said, this is what I feel like I need to be doing as far as the next step. And I may not know exactly how this is going to work out, but I'm going to take the leap. And inevitably there were some things that happened to kind of align or, or come into, um, your life that, that helped you move forward for the, even the next step. Um, and then your resourcefulness, right? Because there's skills and things that you picked up along the way in various contexts that you're able to apply and help you, even if it's not for the main thing that you, you know, were going towards, it helped you either build network or get money or do whatever you need to do to, to keep the process. Um, and then even in you doing some things for work that weren't necessarily aligned probably with the things that you really wanted to do. Um, but then always having your hand in being able to do those, what I like to call like passion projects, right? The things that this is really what I want to do. And whether I get paid for this or not, I'm going to make sure that I have a way to do this. And then hopefully there's a way that the, the scales tip and the thing that you really love to do becomes the thing foreground the other stuff kind of falls away because it wasn't really the thing that needed to stay right i mean as i'm hearing your story progress and as i'm seeing and i know of what i know of you now i mean is would you attest to that that that's true of your experiences well what i i think you were the first person that really articulated my you know what you know my history pretty accurately like most people are looking for the judy garland james mason moment mm -hmm. you know the lady gaga 
Bradley Cooper moment where, yeah, kid, you're my guy. Right. I'm going to get you to MoMA. <laughs> right. Discovered, right? <laughs> it doesn't happen that way. It's, you know, it is. It's just, it's just, even, even what you said about, you know, working toward, you know, I always wanted to be a gallery artist. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but yeah, there's just no, especially no. There was just I wasn't one. I wasn't ready. I didn't have the skill set, and and uh, I mean that cracking that, uh, you know, stealing is is was you know it, I didn't I didn't I wasn't a gallery artist until I was in my forties. Um, but um, even when I was tending bar, this one lady I had a day shift, and this one lady came, you know, because it was around the it was on Irving Place. And these uh, these women came in from um, school visual art after a party or something in the in the end of my shift. And she goes, "What do you do?" I said, "I'm an artist." She goes, "What?" She said, "No." She said, "What do you want to do?" I said, "I'm an artist." She goes, "Oh, I work. I'm at school visual arts." I said, uh, and she goes, "Um, why aren't you drawing?" And I said, uh, "Well, I'm working." She goes, "You're not working now." She goes, "You should be training your eye." And she was right. You always. Even when you're not working for it, you got to be working for it. Thanks for listening today. I'd appreciate it if you would subscribe, leave a rating and a review. It really helps this podcast be seen and heard by others.